All right, good morning. Good to see all you out there today, and I'm excited to wrap up this series from Acts 1-8 to Church and State. Uh, let me just acknowledge that not everyone cares about this, <laughs> that you may be going through something right now that, that moves your, like this conversation about politics and civic engagement way down on your list of things that you're interested in hearing a sermon about today. Um, I, I recognize that, and I want you to know being here hopefully is encouraging to you and a reminder of God's love. And um, we'll move on to something different next week that hopefully will may, maybe meet you where you are. But I do think this is an important conversation, so we are going to continue and, and finish this up today. Uh, we're, we're trying to understand how the church is supposed to engage with the world, specifically in the realm of civic engagement and, and political realities. So what does that look like for the church to engage? Is there a, a biblical mandate, a biblical foundation that we should stand on and turn to when we think about what it looks like to be good citizens of the country that we live in? Well, I believe there is. That's why we're starting with Acts 1-8. So we're gonna read this here in a moment together. And um, thank you, Kellen. And uh, recognize that this is a uh, Jesus' answer to a political question. So when we get to, uh, to verse 8, what Jesus is answering is the question, Jesus, is now the time when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So in other words, are, are we taking over the nation now? Is that, is that happening now? We're going to take over the nation, right? And you're going to be the leader and, we'll, you know, we'll, everybody will be Christian and it'll be great. Here's Jesus' answer to that, verse, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. In Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria. All right. That's his answer. Is now the time? Are we going to take over? And he says, no, no, let's, let's, let's redirect. You misunderstand what this kingdom is all about. This kingdom is about you bearing witness to me. Go out and, and be my witnesses. And this kingdom is way bigger than the country that you live in, by the way. This is a global mission. This is a global gospel. This is good news for everyone, not just where you live, but all over the planet. And so take this message about me, Jesus says, to everyone in the world. And what Jesus is hoping is that his, his disciples and followers would, would infiltrate every society on the planet with salt and light. Now, we'll talk about what that looks like in a minute, but that's what he's hoping for. That, that's what he wants to happen. And so when we ask this question, is, is there a foundation for us when it comes to uh, what it looks like to engage civically and politically, then th this, is, this is a starting point. Yes, you will be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit's gonna give you power and your power, the power from the Spirit is not for control and authority. The power for the Spirit is to reach people with the good news about Jesus. So that's what it's about. So as we uh, get to uh, Jesus' example, he's going to set an example for us and what it looks like to engage in, in a, what we're going to call a third way. Um, before we get to that, I want to set up the three ways. There are three ways, I think, and these three kind of come from more of a counseling uh, background, a family systems theory. So if, if, if you're not politically minded today, these are good relationship applications, right? So we'll take these three ways and look at how uh, we're we're tempted in our culture to align with one or two of them, and then how there's a third, there's a third option, a third way that Jesus demonstrates for us in Matthew 22, uh, which we'll get to in a minute. So the first way is enmeshment. Enmeshment uh, relationally means that my identity is wrapped up in the identity of another person. And if that person is 
uh, happy, I'm happy. And if they're sad, I'm sad. If I think they might be sad, I'm sad. If, I, if I'm not sure if they like me right now, then I'm really upset. And that's, that's enmeshment. On a political uh, and, and government level, enmeshment means my politics and my faith are wrapped up together. They're inseparable, right? I can't separate what I believe politically from what I believe spiritually. They're intertwined. So this enmeshment would say like, um, to be Christian is to be Republican, or to be Christian is to be Democrat. I can't separate the two. They're just wrapped up. It's the same thing, right? So let's, let's think about how this doesn't get people what they think it's gonna get, right? Um, uh, just a case study from the Netherlands. The Netherlands is a country that's very uh, low in religious beliefs right now. That's why we, we have a mission partner, um, Caleb and Don Chrisman in the Netherlands reaching uh, college students there. But it wasn't always this way. So in 1880... Uh, there were 4 million people in the Netherlands. Out of those 4 million, 12,000 of them were not church members. Everyone else was. That is like 99% of the country is a member of a church. In 1901, they elected Abraham Kuyper to be their prime minister. And Kuyper was a theologian and a pastor. And now he's the leader of the whole country. And so for the Christians, this has got to be like, dream come true, we've made it. Our, 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 our leader is a theologian and a pastor. It can't get any better than this. Set from 1908 to today, the Netherlands has been in the steepest decline from religious to secular of any country on the planet. They got there quicker than anybody else. Today, 20% of the people in the Netherlands claim any religious beliefs whatsoever, not just Christianity, but any beliefs, only 20% of the country. 50% of the people in the Netherlands say they've never been inside a church building or to a church gathering. And they got there pretty quick. I mean, in, in historical terms, 100 years is pretty quick. We've, we've seen similar trajectories in uh, places like Ireland and Quebec and New England and the United States. New England was a Christian region. It was pretty much occupied and run by Christians. And now New England is one of the spiritually darkest places in our country. So what we're seeing is that like this enmeshment, this idea of like, I'm gonna tie my politics and my faith together and they're gonna be the same thing for me. It just didn't work in all of these historical contexts. And so uh, we're not sure, I'm not saying necessarily that correlation equals causation, but I think it's something that we have to pay attention to. So the next way, the next possibility is, is detachment. So detachment would go the other way and say, uh, politics has nothing to do with church or Christianity or religious life. We'll just keep the two separate. Let's just put them in separate drawers and separate categories in our brains. This is how somebody can support a political platform or a policy or a candidate that goes against the way of Jesus and then call themselves a Christian because they've separated. They divided these things out. They say, well, that's politics. This is faith, right? Uh, one of the uh, comments that I overheard, third hand heard from my first sermon in this series was, well, he, he was right biblically, but he was wrong politically. I'll take that, I guess. I mean, like, if I'm going to be right on one of them, I, I hope I'm right biblically. So, but I think that's, that's kind of this mindset that I can separate my politics and my faith and I can, I, I can go this way, even though that's not the way of Jesus, but that's the right thing to do politically. Um, that's detachment. And so what this creates is you can have a country or a region that is full of Christians, but then allows things like injustice and racism and slavery to go on. Case study, South Africa, for most of the 20th century, was, it was just embedded with this really aggressive anti 
um, or, or racial policy. It was a racist policy uh, that's known as apartheid, right? Um, the, the church in South Africa was very powerful. The Dutch Reformed Church was the most powerful organization in the country, and the Dutch Reformed Church supported apartheid. So I don't know if there's an irony here between this is like the Dutch, this is from the Netherlands, this church is that is, uh, controls most of the country. But they weren't the only Christians in South Africa. There were a lot of other Christians, other denominations. There have been missionaries there for many years. But the other Christians in South Africa basically said, like, we don't, we don't have the political influence. We don't have the power. There's nothing we can do. We just have to step back and just let things take their course. And so it took until 1994 to end apartheid in South Africa. And I don't know, I, again, I don't want to oversimplify a pretty complicated situation, but I mean, is it possible that if the Christians in that country had stood up and gotten engaged and said no to injustice, that maybe it wouldn't have taken so long to end that really aggressive and harmful racist policy? I don't know. Enmeshment doesn't get us what, what we want. Detachment doesn't get us what we want. Thankfully, there's a third way. This third way is called differentiation. Differentiation. Uh, this is a very helpful relational term. This is in relationships, differentiation means like I am my own self. You can be anxious and upset and I can be, I can be sad for you and I, I, can, I, I, can, I can even cry with you, but it doesn't change who I am, right? Or you can be really happy, but that, I don't have to just try to match your level of, of happiness. I, I'm still me, I'm still myself. So in a, in a political sense, in differentiation means like I can, I can look at two different sides, I'm not locked into just one way of seeing things. That I can, I can examine both views and I don't have to be defined by either side. That's, that's differentiation. And what Jesus demonstrates for us in Matthew 22 is, is differentiation. And so we're gonna take a look at this really critical event uh, in the life of Jesus and a critical lesson for his followers. Um, here in Matthew 22, starting in verse 15. So um, the reason why I think this is so important. So first of all, Let's understand that when we go to a story like this in the Gospels, it is, it is in a place in this book called Matthew for a reason. Like the, the writer, Matthew, built, like he put things together in an order for a reason. And so right before this event, Jesus had just given three parables about the kingdom of God. He talks about the, what the kingdom of God is like. And one of them is the parable of the great banquet. You've heard of that one. Like right before this event, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God and what it means. And then we get this uh, event where Jesus is challenged to define the kingdom of God by someone else's terms, okay? So here's what this looks like, Matthew twenty two fifteen. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Oh, who are they? We'll find out. Uh, teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? All right, let's pause there. Uh, so a couple of things are happening here. First, this is a very politically charged question about the imperial tax. We'll get to that in a second. But before that, I, I wanna point out that the Pharisees have gotten really desperate because they're partnering with the Herodians. The Herodians are a group of people that are pro-Rome. So Rome is an authority over the land of Judea where, where the Jews all live. And the Herodians, their mindset which comes from Herod the Great, is basically like, we just have to go along to get along, right? We're just gonna, we're gonna be good Roman citizens. We're gonna do everything Rome says. You know, if Caesar says it, we'll do it. We're on board with Caesar. We'll be, uh, show him our allegiance. But we just wanna show Rome that we can, we can contribute something to this society and maybe they'll give us more power and influence. And it actually worked pretty well for Herod the Great. 
But there's this, this political group of people who are, who are like on board with whatever Rome says, right? And the Pharisees are like the opposite of that. The Pharisees are, they hate the fact that Rome is over their country and they wish things were different, but they've kind of taken this backseat view and go, we can't, we can't fight Rome, so let's just focus on being good Jews. If, we, if, we're just, if we just honor God and we keep the law, this is why they were so desperate about keeping the law, because they were trying to preserve their culture and their Jewish faith in the midst of this Roman occupation. And so they're opposites politically, but they come together in a very classic case of the enemy of my enemy is my friend. You guys heard that? The enemy of my enemy is my friend. And so the Pharisees and Herodians are partnering together to ask Jesus this politically charged question. Should we pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? So the imperial tax, there there were several different taxes people had to pay at the time, but this one is just like an existence tax. If you exist here under our rule, you have to pay this tax. And it was paid with a specific coin called a tribute coin or a denarius. They called it a denarius because it was worth the same as what you would get paid for a day's wages. Pretty much everybody made the same wage. What an interesting way to live. Everybody made the same wage. So this is a denarius, a tribute coin, uh, pays this imperial tax. And There were many Jews. In fact, 30 years before this moment, there was this man named Judas who was a Jew who decided we can't pay this tax. Guys, we can't do this. To to pay this tax is to condone everything Caesar stands for and to say Caesar's agenda is just fine. I mean, if he wants to call himself God, that's great. If he wants us to worship him, great. If we, you know, whatever, to pay the tax is to go along with Caesar's image of himself as a God. So we can't pay the tax. And so people flocked to this guy named Judas and he raised an army and he went to war against Rome. Have you ever heard of this guy? No, he's a footnote in history because he didn't get very far. You can't can't fight Rome, but he, he rebelled against Rome because of this tax. And so when they bring this question to Jesus, they're trying to put him in a box where he has two choices. So choice number one is to say, no, don't, don't pay the tax. For Jesus can say, like, no, to, to, to pay the tax is to, you know, go along with Caesar's agenda, to say Caesar is right and calling himself a god, and, and just to, to do everything Caesar says, um, so we can't pay the tax. Now, what happens if Jesus says, don't pay the tax? He's breaking the law. And not, not only is he breaking the law, he's encouraging other people to break the law. How is Rome going to feel about that? Not, not warm and fuzzy, right? They're not going to like this. And so Jesus could potentially have himself and everyone who follows him arrested in this moment. Can you imagine being a disciple and being like on the edge of your seat? Like, what is he gonna say? Because my entire future rests on this answer. Jesus, please say the right thing, right? His other option is to say, yes, pay the tax. You know what? Let's, let's just be like the Herodians. Let's go along to get along. Whatever Caesar says is fine. Let's just, let's just go all in with Rome. Hopefully, you know, they'll recognize that we're good citizens and they'll give us some influence and power and, and we can have some more control. Just, just go along with everything Rome says. Those seem to be the only two options. In fact, the Pharisees and Herodians are counting on Jesus must pick one of these. And if he says, let's go along, then all of the people who are like pro-Jew, like we, we, this is our country, this is our faith, we're not gonna let Rome, oh, he's gonna lose all of those people. No more, they won't follow him anymore. So it's, it feels like a lose-lose. But uh, when Jesus is involved, there's always a win, right? Jesus' way wins, Every time. So what does Jesus say in response to this question? How does he handle this politically charged question? Let's pick up in verse 18. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? The, the reason why he can call them hypocrites there, you know what hypocrites is somebody that says one thing and does another. It's like, 
these two opposing political forces, the Pharisees and Herodians, are agreeing on something that normally they wouldn't agree on. Uh, Like this is very hypocritical of them to join forces against Jesus and and they're kind of sacrificing their own values for that. Anyway, uh, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. Show me the tribute coin. So they brought him a denarius and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away with their tail between their legs. That was in the parenthetical. Um, you have to be a scholar to pick up on that. On that one. They were amazed at his answer. Why? Because it was amazing. That's why. Because he didn't choose the no and he didn't choose the yes. He said something actually they weren't expecting that was very different and that was very challenging to them on a personal level. And I think it should be challenging to us on a personal level and a corporate level as the church as well. What Jesus does is he chooses differentiation. He chooses the third way. And he says, look, we, we acknowledge that Caesar has authority in this land to demand this tax from us. He put his face on the coin. Just give it back to him. It's his coin. He can have it back, right? But God has put his face, his image on something else. And what's that? That's right. He's put it on us. I like some feedback. Appreciate that. God has, we, we are made, these are, he's talking to Jews that know Genesis inside and out. They know that, that God created human beings in his image. Male and female, he created them. In the image of God, he created them. We have God's image stamped on us. So Jesus says, it's just a coin. Give Caesar his coin back if he wants it. But your hearts belong to God. You belong to God. Your identity comes from your creator, not not from Caesar. So Jesus is, he's not condoning representing Caesar and saying like, let's go around like little Caesars and, 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 oh, that's a pizza place. Let's go around like uh, people who represent Caesar. Oh gosh, that threw me off. Sorry. Anybody want pizza? (laughs) It is like 1230 almost. Uh, to my stomach. So we'll, let's fast. We'll fast for another half hour. We'll be fine. <clears throat> so he's not condoning representing Caesar and just saying, hey, we're, we're, we're all on board with, with what Caesar wants to do. But he's also not condoning rebellion against Caesar. He's, he's condoning a third way to say, look, look, let's follow the laws of the land. That's fine. But your hearts belong to God. Your identity belongs to God. Who you are belongs to God. So there's no emphasis on choosing one of these two boxes. Instead, he says, let's, let's just choose a middle way, a middle way between enmeshment and detachment. Let's choose differentiation, a middle way. And here's the problem with choosing the middle way. This is why a lot of people shy away from it is because it's messy in the middle. In the middle, we have to have discernment. We have to have discernment in the middle. You actually don't need discernment if you're enmeshed or detached, do you? If if you've aligned yourself with a party and you basically said, well, if it comes from this party, I support it. If it comes from the other party, I oppose it. You don't actually have to make any decisions, do you? Someone has already made all of your decisions for you. 
You just go, you just go along with whatever has already been decided. It doesn't take any discernment to be enmeshed. And it doesn't take any discernment to be detached. If you're detached, you said, hey, it's got nothing to do with us. Government, politics, don't need to vote, don't care who's president. It's got nothing to do with us. I mean, you don't, you don't have to be discerning there either, right? Because once you start being discerning, you're not detached anymore. You're engaged. So Jesus says, let's choose a different way. And that different way is gonna require us to be discerning. We're gonna have to actually think about things <laughs> instead of just let people tell us what to think. So here's the the worst part. Not only does enmeshment or detachment not require discernment, it doesn't allow for discernment. You're not allowed to be discerning if you're enmeshed with one particular side. Because the second you start to consider that the other side may have a point, you're not loyal anymore. You'll be canceled and out. You're not even allowed to be discerning if you're enmeshed. But it's in that middle where we find the freedom to be discerning, to think, to evaluate, to discuss openly, and to not be emotionally attached to an outcome. Because we can't control the outcomes anyway, right? When people get emotionally attached to the outcome of an election, oh man, some people are gonna be really happy and some people are gonna be really sad because of a vote, right? Differentiation allows us to step back from that and say, I'm not, I'm not gonna be emotionally attached to this. My loyalty belongs to God. I, his, he has put his image on me. I am his. And I think one thing Jesus is trying to communicate to people here is that Caesar is no threat to the kingdom of God. Zero threat. No reason to be afraid of Caesar. He cannot destroy the kingdom of God. And friends, this is true of every leader who's ever lived. No human being can destroy the kingdom of God. Nothing to be afraid of. We don't, have to, we don't have to go to battle against Caesar. God can take care of himself, right? But you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is pushing us to think bigger, to think deeper about who we are and about how we engage civically and politically. So how do we engage? What does a differentiated approach to civic engagement look like? Adam, we've been talking about this for three weeks. Would you finally just tell us Okay, here we go. Uh, yes, I will tell you my opinions, but I'm gonna start with scripture. So um, you know that they're formed by scripture. So this is from Peter, 1 Peter chapter two. Peter's writing to people who are living under Roman rule. And actually they're paying a, they're paying a price for that. Like the Roman government doesn't really like Christians and um, at different times through history tried to pretty much wipe them out. And here's what Peter says to those people. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. What is at the heart of Peter's message? Let's not, let's not rebel, let's not fight back against Caesar. That's a, that's a losing battle to begin with. But we have to stay engaged. We stay engaged by doing good. That, that verse that, that you read, it's, it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. There were people in the communities that said Christians are bad for society because they're not going to the pagan temples and paying their dues. And the 
And Peter's saying, let's show them that we can be good members of society without worshiping false gods. Let's show them that we can contribute by loving people, by speaking against injustice, by providing for the marginalized. Let's show them that we can bring good into this community without, without sacrifice, without compromising what we believe. That's the message. Can we contribute to society without compromising our beliefs and who God is and who he created us to be? That's gotta be the goal, right? So here's what that looks like. I have a, a couple of suggestions and then one that I think is a command from scripture. So uh, let's start with a suggestion. First is to vote knowledgeably. So vote, please vote. Tuesday, vote, but vote knowledgeably. It, it really doesn't help if you just show up and, uh, and don't know any of the candidates. You're like, oh, I've never heard of that person, never heard of that person, never heard of that person. And what you're looking for is the letter next to their name, right? Well, if it's an R, check. Or if it's a D, check. Well, that's not that helpful, right? I don't think straight party ticket voting is knowledgeable voting. I think it's to, to some extent, it's just allowing somebody else to make your decisions for you. If they decide to put a D by their name, they get your vote. Or if they put an R by their name, they get your vote. Let's, let's be knowledgeable. Let's be more intentional. So here are a couple ways to do that practically. There are two websites I would recommend. One is called vote411.com, vote411.com, and ballotready.org. You can go to either one of these and they will show you all the elections happening in your area. These are nonpartisan sites, by the way. They'll show you all the elections and who's running for every office. Then you can get those names and you can, you can go and find these people online. Everybody has a website. All the candidates have websites and you can go to their websites and you can read about them. You can figure out what kind of people they are because here's what I think we should do. I think we should emphasize character. I think we should emphasize character. It doesn't mean that people's policies don't matter. I think they matter. But here's what I, and this is, this is just, Adam's opinion, so please hear that, but here's what I think is true, that somebody who disagrees with you but is trustworthy and honest is gonna be better for everyone than somebody who agrees with you but is dishonest and untrustworthy. That's what I think, that's what I believe. So character matters, I think we should emphasize that, and I think we should give preference to local elections over national. The local elections impact us far more than the national ones do on a daily basis. And there are people here in, in, that in, our, in our community. You can get to know these people because they're local. And so go and find out who's, who's running locally and wh what kind of people they are and let character matter. Policies matter, but let's let character matter more. So vote knowledgeably. Number two is to partner wisely. Partner wisely. This is, a, this is saying we're not gonna be detached. We're not just gonna step back and say, well, the government's the government and the church is the church and, and let's, let's not you know, get involved with anything that the government's doing. The government actually has a lot of resources and, and there are programs and systems that align with kingdom purposes. So for example, um, the trustee office, the Jackson Township trustee particularly, I know the people who work there and I know that they really care about the people in our community. I know that they have access to a lot of resources and they have a lot of people who need those resources and not everyone is getting the resources that they need from the trustee office. So I've asked them, how can the, how can the church help? Can we help? And she was like, well, we don't need your money. We've got plenty, access to plenty of money. We don't need you to do events for us. Actually, the, the way that you could help, we need volunteer caseworkers because so many people come to us and they're overwhelmed with all the, the services that they need just to get by on a monthly basis. Well, they need something for food and, and education and housing and and they get so overwhelmed by all the forms you have to fill out and all the, the bureaucratic, the red tape you have to go through to get access to the resources that they just give up. They just give up because it's too much. They can't keep up with all of it. But if we had volunteers who would come alongside them and say, hey, you know what? I, I can help you. Let's sit down. Let's do this form together. I'll, I'll just sit down with you. Let's do it together. Let's make this appointment. I'll go with you to your appointment. 
She said that would make a huge difference in the lives of families. That's a way the church can partner wisely with some programs that align with kingdom purposes, taking care of the marginalized and, and the poor. And, and the goal is to see the poor not be poor anymore, right? Let's, let's, people, let's move people from one category to another. And I think the church can do that wisely. Again, this is discernment. This is discernment. We have to think, pray, discuss, follow the Holy Spirit's lead. And finally, uh, we need to pray faithfully. I think we need to pray specifically for our leaders. Because if these people are making decisions that impact the lives of others, don't we want God involved in that person's life? Don't we want them to know Jesus? Don't, don't we want them to be used by God in some way to bring about good for the kingdom? Now, how do we impact things that happen in the spiritual world? Prayer. That's, that's it. That's the tool we've been given. God said, if, if, if you pray, I will listen. And so we're going to pray for our leaders. That's how, actually how we're going to close our service today. I believe this is biblical. And so we're going to close with this today um, and pray for our leaders. But here's what I want you, I, I want you to encourage uh, you. I mentioned earlier that, that Jesus' intent was that we would be his witnesses, right? That we would be salt and light. Not, not an overwhelming army, not, not a secluded, um, you, you know, cut off people, but we would be salt and light. That, that salt infiltrates, it, it gets involved and it changes the flavor of things, right? And light drives the shadows out of dark places. That's what we're called to be. And I believe that we can engage, if we, if we take a differentiated approach, we can engage in ways that bring the good of the kingdom into the world that we live in. So let's wrap up with prayer. Emily's gonna come and lead us as we uh, pray and then we will, um, we will be dismissed from there. Thank you, Emily.